engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Good evening. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, yeah, there's some news out there that involves me. We'll get to that. Uh, I'm not the important news today, though. Stacey Abrams is important news. She is not going to run for the Senate. I, I told you guys yesterday that I did not expect her to run for the Senate. And let me walk you through that again real quick before we play uh, her own statement. I, I, here's why I didn't think she would run. If Abrams were to run in 2020 for the Senate against David Perdue, uh, one of two things would happen. She would win or she would lose. Uh, th that seems obvious, but consider the implications. A if Abrams were to run and win, that would mean probably there was a big Democratic wave, which would probably mean there would be a Democratic president. Abrams doesn't really want to be in the Senate. She wants to be governor. She's always wanted to be governor. So if there's a big wave in 2020 that gets her into the Senate— the, in every off-year election, the party not in the White House benefits, so there would be a reciprocal Republican wave in 2022 in the same way that um, there was in 2018 for the Democrats and 2010 and 2014 for the Republicans when Obama was president. So that would diminish her ability in 2022 to run against Brian Kemp. The, the odds are he would win again. But more importantly, she would then have to answer questions as to why she was running for something else two years after getting elected to the Senate in a six-year term. She would have to answer those questions, and she doesn't want to do that either. Uh, say what you will about Stacey Abrams, but she is rather dedicated to a job. Um, if she wants, to, if she was in the state legislature for a number of years, she is a small businesswoman. I may disagree with her greatly on politics, uh, but she's not one to jump from job to job to job to job to job. She, she, wants, she wants to be somewhere. So I think just uh, on her personal ethical level, she would not like the idea of jumping into the Senate and then two years later saying, hey, I'm going to run for governor. So if she got elected, she would be stuck in the Senate for six years, and that would put her further behind on wanting to run for governor, which is where she wants to be. Uh, if she lost, though, uh, that would be a big signal that her time is done. She would have lost two statewide races. Despite her claims about, um, uh, about winning, she didn't. Fair and square, she lost. It doesn't matter how much hysteria the Democrats and Abrams acolytes raise about the race being stolen from her. It's just not true. Uh, so if she if she lost to David Perdue in 2020, she would have lost two back-to-back -back statewide races. Uh, and that would mean that she is flat out unqualified to be the Democratic nominee in 2022. Behind the scenes, you also have to remember, while the Democrats don't have a deep bench in Georgia, they do have a, a, a little bit of a bench, and there are other people who are desperate to step up. And as Abrams has dragged this out to the end of April to make up her mind— Others in the Democratic Party are grumbling more and more and more. Now, just how big is that bench? Well, it's very interesting. Jen Jordan, uh, the state senator that the media has just tried to turn into our version of Texas's abortion Barbie, uh, they, uh, Wendy Davis, they, she's not going to run. Several other prominent Democrats are going to run. John Barrow says he wants to run for the Georgia Supreme Court. So that leaves a former mayor of Columbus, Georgia, Teresa Tomlinson, to potentially be the Democratic nominee. Who is that? I mean, you've got some Democrats who are trying to get Michelle Nunn to do a repeat, a rematch, or get Jason Carter to run for the Senate against David Perdue. The Democrats, they don't have a deep bench, but they do have people who have been biding their time. We'll probably see some of them come out. Now, there's another issue here. Um, it had Abrams, with Abrams not running, she can run for president. Now, I know that seems laughable on the surface, but just bear me out here. Hear me out. 
she wants to fundraise. That's what Abrams wants to do. She needs to raise money. She needs to get her name out there. If she runs for president as a single issue candidate working on voting rights, claiming Republicans around the country are systematically oppressing and suppressing black voters, no one's going to hold it against her that she loses. No one's going to expect her to win on that. What they are going to do, though, is give her money. She's going to be able to fund a presidential campaign and then use that money and redirect the funds in 2022 to a gubernatorial campaign that don't will have to get permission, but of course they will. She will have made her name running as the voting rights candidate. And what Democrat doesn't love to support candidates running on voting rights on this belief that Republicans are suppressing the vote. So she can fundraise over the next four years, build up a war chest and rematch Brian Kemp in 2022 by running for president or yeah, by running for president in 2020 in a way that she couldn't if she ran for the Senate. Win or lose, running for the Senate would hurt her. Running for president or just running around the country on this claim that Republicans are suppressing the vote, that might actually help her. You know where it's going to hurt her, though? It's going to hurt her in Georgia. And that's something I think some Democrats are beginning to murmur about. In fact, I shouldn't say think because I talked to one on background the other day uh, who looked at the AJC polling numbers like the rest of us did and saw how high her negatives have gone up and her positive has gone down. Because she continues to play the role of sore loser, denying that she actually uh, lost. Now actually out there claiming in a New York Times Magazine interview that she actually won and that the vote was somehow stolen from her. That's not going to help her come 2022, no matter what she does. Um, but it helps her, it hurts her less than if she ran for the Senate. So now let me play you the audio from Stacey Abrams and I may talk over this some. We'll see how, we'll see how it goes. Public service has been a calling for me as long as I can remember. Whether in elected office or as an active citizen, I believe we are required to find solutions to our most intractable problems. And also fundraise off of them. And to use our skills to expand opportunity for all. And also fundraise off them. Senate provides a singular platform from which to address the issues of access to justice, economic security, health care, and restoring the integrity of our nation's democracy. Except she says it's singular here, and that's the problem. She wants to be one of one. She doesn't want to be one of 100, so she can talk about that, but... However, I am announcing today that I will not be a candidate for the United States Senate. I am so grateful for all of the support and encouragement I've received, from fellow Georgians to leaders of Congress and beyond. Yeah, mostly beyond. However, the fights to be waged require a deep commitment to the job. Wait, 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 wait. So y- y- economic justice, justice for all, voting rights, it requires someone with a commitment to the fight and she doesn't have it? And I do not see the U.S. Senate as the best role for me in this battle for our nation's future. So pay attention to this. She's saying that being an elected member of the United States Senate with power that comes with being elected to the Senate actually isn't where she can make her stand. Let's be clear. I will do everything in my power to ensure Georgia elects a Democrat to the United States Senate in 2020. Sure. Make no mistake, Georgia deserves a U.S. Senator who sees and understands the needs of all Georgians. Someone who won't diminish the real worries of our citizens with insults to excuse his inaction. A Senator who will work to expand health care coverage, not vote repeatedly to take it away. A Senator who will support policies that reflect our values, not champion the separation of families. Wait, 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 wait. Are you saying that David Perdue elected by the citizens of Georgia doesn't share the values of the people who elected him and will elect him again? Or what about you? 
Stacey Abrams. It seems like Georgia voters rejected your values in 2018. A Georgian who cares more about protecting our farmers and our families. Wait, whoa, hold on a second. You're the woman who went to South Georgia a week after a hurricane wiped out crops and said, hey, you shouldn't have to be in, in agriculture. If you want to be somewhere else, you shouldn't have to feel like you got to be in agriculture. Insulted farmers in South Georgia a week after a hurricane. And you're going to say David Perdue doesn't have the backs of farmers? And protecting the Trump administration and his grudges. Oh. Well, I still don't know exactly what's next for me. Fundraising. What I do know. Democracy in America is under attack. Cha-ching! Voter suppression is rampant and it is real. Cha-ching! We've seen the impact of voter suppression in the 2019 legislative session here in Georgia. Cha-ching! From hackable voting machines to attacks on women's rights to a failure to expand Medicaid and save our rural hospitals to jeopardizing our state's economy. Bad policies are a direct result of people's voices not being heard. Wait a second. Are you saying that the majority elected people of the state legislature weren't actually elected by a majority of the people? And what time zone warp did we go through? Because their votes were not counted. Oh, by who? By Democrats in Democrat counties. Over the coming weeks, you'll be hearing more from me and my team about groundbreaking initiatives. Like fundraising. Protect the right to vote and to increase the participation of Americans. So give me money. Setting the course for Georgia and the future of our country. Cha-ching. I hope you will continue to stand with me. Cha-ching. <laughs> I mean, my goodness, you could just hear somebody in the background with the cash register ringing all of this up. Oh, we're going to make lots of money out of this. This is a grifting effort. She's not running for the Senate. She's running for grifter in chief. She wants Democrats nationwide to give her money, claiming the vote was suppressed. I mean, did you hear this, that that the democratically elected members of the legislature, she's gone now beyond the governor was illegitimate. The entire legislature is illegitimate, according to Stacey Abrams. How you like that, Jen Jordan, abortion Barbie, and the rest of you there in the legislature, you Democrats, Bob Trammell, you're an illegitimate elected official, according to Stacey Abrams. The legislature itself in Georgia is illegitimate because voters were suppressed statewide. By the way, the HEC is running a story that more people are registered to vote in Georgia now than anywhere else, and in fact, or at any time in Georgia's history, and in fact, more people registered to vote in Georgia over the last four years, thanks to an initiative Brian Kemp launched on voter registration, uh, then they've outpaced every other state in voter registration. And yet somehow Stacey Abrams believes they were all suppressed. How long can she cash in on this? You know, when I do these live reads for sponsorships for the podcast, uh, I get a script and I can read the script or not. Uh, and the calm script begins, stress is a worldwide epidemic. We're working longer hours. We're inundated with the constant news cycles and we're more connected than ever before. Stress is a part of life, but it can very easily affect our overall well-being. And then it goes into talking about, I, I don't have to tell you about stress. I can tell you about real world. Uh, calm has become an app in my family uh, that we pretty much all use. Um, my son uses calm every night. My daughter uses it. I use it when I'm on trips. My wife uses it. Uh, it is an app that has a meditation. Not, I shouldn't say meditations, but a basically guided meditation, relaxations, uh, play stories or music at night. Um, that's when my kids use it. My kids don't like to go to sleep in the quiet and the dark. So 
they use the call map and the call map, they read stories. In fact, my son is deeply, deeply frustrated because there's one story that he reads or has read to him on the call map and he can never finish it. And he wants to finish the story. And he's afraid that if he stays up during the day to listen to it, that he'll fall asleep during the day. So he's scared to listen to it, but he wants to finish the story. It's actually very cute. Uh, it really is a great app. Uh, if you want to relax and you're having trouble unplugging, if you want something to listen to, to help you go to sleep at night, uh, calm is a great way to do it. Non-medicated. Uh, you just listen to calm right now. Listeners of this podcast get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash Eric. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash Eric. Get unlimited access to all of Calm's content today at calm.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Get Calm, stop stressing. But here's the other thing. Uh, I really am a user of this product and really have been a user of this product before they started sponsoring this podcast. Jonathan V. Last at uh, the Sub Beacon podcast recommended it to me for my kids. And that's when we got it and I love it and I unqualified uh, give this an unqualified recommendation get calm if you want a great way to listen to something to help you relax and go to sleep the phone number here 404-872-0750-1800 WSB talk so I, I, I kind of am in the news um, and didn't intend to be and very aggravated about it actually uh, but several years ago, I reached out to folks at Facebook and wiped out my Facebook friends. Um, I had was fully maxed out of 5,000 friends and have slowly been adding people I know over time uh, back into being Facebook friends because, you know, there are some things you want to be able to say on Facebook and you don't want them to be public. So Facebook has an option where you can select friends instead of public. And I've been asking for some prayers for some friends uh, from friends on Facebook for a project I've been working on. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of funny. I, I'm friends with a lot of reporters, obviously. It's what I'm in this business. And several reporters uh, read my post and reached out, and including a couple national guys, and said, hey, do you mind if we write about this? And I asked them not to. Well, one didn't ask and just wrote about it, even though it specifically said I was sending it to friends because I didn't want to public yet. Um, but the cat's out of the bag now. Uh, despite me having done that, I'm minus one friend on Facebook as a result, too. Uh, but um, so I'm not leaving I'm not. Don't freak out. Uh, but I'm doing more. You know, there have been occasions where I've showed up in the middle of the night during terrible storms and just come in and, and read the radar for several hours because I know people are stuck on the roads. I love radio. Absolutely. I never expected to be on radio. I am on radio because a guy in Macon, Georgia, got arrested in a crack house and he was the local radio show host and they needed someone to fill in for him. And they asked me because I was on CNN. I had never done radio in my life. And folks at, at Cox Media heard it, thought it was my show, asked if I wanted a job when Herman was running for president. I said yes before they found out I actually had no experience in radio. Turns out that in the early 1920s, my aunt, my dad's oldest sister during the Great Depression, uh, she actually had a job here at WSB. I love it. I love radio. Uh, I come in and read the radar in the middle of the night if I need to. I, I've been on radio for 13 hours in the snowstorm several years ago. I want to do more radio. I just don't want to do overnight radio because I have a family. Uh, but I've been, I've been thinking I, I want to do an additional show. Because local news in Georgia is suffering uh, due to the econo economy and, and the state of news. So what if I did an additional three hours a day and instead of making it a national talk show, make it about Georgia news and politics. 
and cover Georgia news and politics and make it freely available to stations around the state of Georgia. And so I've been working on it. The folks here have been working on it. And that's what I'm going to do. So I'll be doing four to six, but I'll also be doing three additional hours of radio a day outside of Atlanta, uh, which will make four to six even better because it'll be the best parts and new stuff and updated stuff through the day. Um, But if that's what you're hearing out there, yeah, that's what's going on. There's a story from Everett Dirksen. Everett Dirksen was the highly respected Senate Republican leader in Washington um, back during the Eisenhower-Kennedy days. Uh, Everett Dirksen told the story that there were two parties in Washington, D.C. There was the stupid party and the evil party. And every once in a while, the stupid party and the evil party would get together and they would do something that is both stupid and evil. And the press would herald it as a bipartisan accomplishment. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you infrastructure week. The president, the Republican leaders and the Democrats got together at the White House today to find common ground, and boy, did they find it in your pocketbook. We just had a a very productive meeting with the President of the United States. We came to this meeting with an understanding uh, that there is great need in our country for rebuilding our infrastructure, with a recognition that we stand at a, a pivotal place in terms of building infrastructure for the future. It's about jobs, jobs, jobs. It's about promoting commerce. It's about clean air, clean water. Uh, it's a, so therefore a public health issue. It's a quality of life issue, getting public people issue. Uh, out of their cars, <laughs> not being on the road so much. Uh, and in every way, it's a safety issue. Uh, so we're very excited about the conversation that we had with the president to advance an agenda of that kind. Uh, We did come to one agreement that the agreement would be big and bold. Uh, Our distinguished uh, leader from the Senate will announce how big and how bold. Over to you, Chuck. It's clear that both the White House and all of us want to get something done on infrastructure in a big and bold way. And there was goodwill in this meeting. And that was different than some of the other meetings that we've had, which is a very good thing. First, we agreed that infrastructure is crucial to the future of America. Wait, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Can you hear the chipperness in his voice? When Chuck Schumer comes out of the Trump White House and is that chipper, you should be, like, hiding your wallet. It creates jobs. We agreed it keeps us competitive. We agreed that for 25 years, this kind of a a big, bold bill that we could pass would make America a better place. This is not just a one year or two year. He almost said we agreed on a number, which was very, very good. Two trillion dollars for infrastructure. (laughs) Originally, we had started a little lower. Even the president was eager to push it up to two trillion dollars. (laughs) Two trillion dollars. You know what this reminds me of? Hang on a second. This will sound familiar. Time to jumpstart job creation. That is what my economic agenda is designed to do. It's an agenda that begins with jobs. We do have a jobs emergency. President Obama promised an unrelenting, unyielding, day-by-day effort by this administration. An unrelenting, unyielding, 
day-by-day -day effort from this administration to fight for economic recovery on all fronts. To fight for economic recovery on all fronts. Relentless commitment to job creation. I am not interested in taking a wait-and-see approach when it comes to creating jobs. What I'm interested in is taking action right now to help businesses create jobs right now. We don't have time for any more games. The American people didn't send us here to just think about our jobs. They sent us here to think about theirs. They want us to start worrying less about keeping our jobs and more about helping them keep their jobs. A lot of the debate in Washington has been around health care, so people think, well, you know, I guess they must not be working on jobs. No, we've been working on jobs the whole time. Jobs must be our number one focus in 2010. Saving and creating jobs have to continue to be our focus in 2010. We have to continue to work every single day to get our economy moving again. That means jobs. This is my administration's overriding focus. We will not rest until we are succeeding in generating the jobs that this economy needs. I'm not going to rest. My administration is not going to rest in our efforts to help people who are looking to find a job. Our big challenge right now is creating jobs and making sure the economy takes off. Mr. President, uh, I begin by applauding your decision to place uh, the economy at the top of the agenda. With everything else he has in this plate, his laser focus has been jobs, 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 jobs. <laughs> you get the point. I mean, if we go through a time warp, we're back in the Obama administration, big, bold jobs, jobs, jobs. It's going to be infrastructure. This is the only thing that Republicans and Democrats alike get excited about building bridges they can name after themselves with your tax dollars and even the president is like let's go for two trillion dollars the president actually said in the meeting that his first infrastructure bill that that was all gary cohen's bill and it was a stupid bill he wants more money than what gary cohen his former um economic advisor wanted Gracious people, hold on to your wallets. We are about to go off the financial cliff on this. Uh, yes, folks, they're going to build bridges and runways and train tracks and more passenger lanes. You know, I mean, in all honesty, this will benefit the Atlanta area. The DOT wants to expand the number of toll lanes in the state, uh, reversible toll lanes. I, I got a very angry email the other day from someone who was talking about the toll lanes. They were calling them the Lexus lane. Um, you know what? You're paying to ride on the toll. If you don't like it, you don't have to ride on the toll. There's no reason to be disparaging about a toll system that actually works. Uh, we are one of the few states in this country now uh, that is behind on investing in toll infrastructure. I, I don't want to take anyone else's business. Uh, along the interstate right-of-way to be able to build more lanes for everyone to drive in. I think the tolls are working, and we're probably going to see more of that. We may see an extension to the runway uh, down in, in Macon, Georgia. We may see an, another runway. In Atlanta. You know, the Atlanta airport is now saying they'd actually like to build one more runway. We'll see all sorts of this stuff around the country. Two trillion dollars. We can build bridges to nowhere and tunnels to the center of the earth. Uh, with all of this money that the Republicans and Democrats are going to spend. Now, this is going to be very interesting. Do Republicans in the House and Senate who claim to be fiscal conservatives, do they stand up and say, wait a second, guys, we got to cut money from somewhere else? You got Mick Mulvaney out there, who is one of the, the uh, big champions of sequestration. He's now the White House chief of staff saying, ah, debt, it doesn't matter. We can spend some more. Y'all, we have a bipartisan problem in Washington with spending. We don't have a revenue problem in Washington. We have a spending problem in Washington. Both parties, the spending is out of control. Only one of the parties 
claims to be fiscally responsible, and that party is in charge and they're lying through their teeth. This is a problem for your kids and mine or for your grandkids, depending on your age. We have a 22, we're headed to a $22 trillion national debt. I mean, you know, we were able to beat the Soviet Union in the Cold War because we essentially bankrupted that country. China is going to bankrupt us because China is going to start an arms race with us and we're going to have to compete and we don't have the money to be able to do it. Someone's going to have to come in and clean up our fiscal mess that our leaders in Washington are making. Except the problem is voters are going to keep electing people who spend more and more money. At some point, the bill is going to come due and I'm, it used to be people would think, well, you know what, I'm going to be dead by then. No, we're all going to be alive at that moment, and we're going to have to learn Mandarin to keep up because the Chinese are going to own us the way the national debt is growing. Uh, this is madness. And by the way, I personally don't think uh, federally that the U.S. government should be involved in the infrastructure, infrastructure projects of the several states. Leave that up to the states and let them decide. Let us go to the phones now to Kevin in Fayetteville. Kevin, how are you? Doing fine, Eric. Hey, my question is, uh, a few months ago, the Democrats were telling us that uh, 5 or $6 billion we couldn't afford to even put in the budget for the wall. So now we're good for $2 trillion. And also, will the wall be included in this infrastructure bill? <laughs> That's actually a great point, Kevin. I'm going to have to steal that on Twitter. <laughs> yes. Uh, will we get the wall? Uh, anybody? Will Will we actually get a wall? Um, Tom in Tucker, you're going to be next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. Uh, thank you for taking the call. Sure. Now, the big, it's not the fact that they're going to spend $2 trillion. It's the fact that the majority of it, instead of being sent and used to build roads and bridges and you know regardless of the infrastructure that they want to raise the majority of that money is going to go to waste fraud and abuse at the federal down through the local level uh contracts you know they've got the set asides for this group or that group instead of just allowing the person or the company that had will do the best job you know, I, Tom, I, I just don't know why you have a problem with us building the Chuck Schumer United Auto Workers Memorial Highway from uh, Massapequa to Wisconsin. I, I, I don't know why you have a problem with that. <laughs> yeah. and, and you know what's so cool about this road? problem you have with saying that with a straight face. Tom, listen, the, the cool thing about this highway is it's going to be an invisible highway. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, it'll it'll be on the atlas, but you can't find it. But but the the no the real problem, Eric, is it's not that it's the money going to the you know the mid level, you know bureaucracy. Right. Oh yeah. Uh, that's where we waste our money. Yeah. You know we look, the school systems do it. Mm -hmm. I mean it's administratively you know we got how many assistant superintendent right. when you don't need but one or two yes, uh, the school uh, super assistant superintendent in charge of photocopiers yes yeah <laughs> yeah look tom i gotta let you go there i i appreciate it but you know you're right I, actually in, in i am familiar with a school district here in georgia 
that used to have an assistant school superintendent and their entire job was making sure the photocopiers were working. And it paid at an assistant superintendent level. Just just making sure the photocopiers worked on time. That's what we're going to get here with infrastructure week. We keep having infrastructure week. But yeah, the border wall, will we actually get a border wall? When we come back, though, Joe Biden, we got to talk about Biden today. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here on WSB in Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Uh, Joe Biden is, well, he's got Democrats buzzing. Uh, and Republicans in 2016 kept pointing out there just seems to be something up with Hillary Clinton um, in her behaviors and whatnot. And remember uh, how Democrats in the media, when she was carted off early from an event, uh, they said, oh, Republicans are just fear-mongering conspiracy theory and there was nothing wrong with her. Turns out, according to the Democrats, uh, she had uh, pneumonia. And a lot of people suspect maybe there was something else. Well, now it's Joe Biden's turn. I want to play this montage for you of Biden's speech in Pennsylvania. Just listen for yourself. I want to thank uh, uh, Rich Fitzgerald, the county executive, Allegheny County executive, for being here. And all my time in public life, from since I've gotten involved, the country wasn't built by Wall Street bankers, CEOs, and hedge, and hedge fund managers. If the enterprise hit hard times, everybody took a hit. Union workers, the UAW took incredible cuts in their future and their, and their pensions and the less to get GM working. They also got that last year and try to cut wages or freeze wages for the people. Right today, the same is happening in big, hospital, in big hospital systems. I think we have to rethink how we define what constitutes a, su- a successful economy. Folks in America don't think their children are going to have the same standard of living they had. How can a person dignity be maintained? Be so, uh, why, why they do that? It means investing much more in medical research to conquer, to conquer devastating diseases like cancer and addiction and Alzheimer's. So God bless you all and may God protect our troops. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Listen, um, Joe Biden is 76 years old. He's older than Donald Trump. He will be, if he was elected president, he will be 78 years old. Um, that's, he, he's old. He, we just need to accept it. Uh, and I think the Democrats, the younger Democrats are going to use that as a liability against him. And so that's, I, I, I play that montage. It's a montage that was put together with uh, by a media outlet and is circulating among the Democrats. It's not just a Republican criticism here. And I do think that when we're approaching electing a leader who, if Joe Biden, I mean, if he's elected, he's 78. You serve presidential term is four years. So 82, he would be real. Is he going to pledge to only one, run one term? Now, listen, I'm not one to talk about somebody tripping over their tongue. I'm half Swedish and half Cajun. This is what I do for a living. I trip over my tongue on the radio. But when you're 76 years old and you are 
giving people pause by slurring your words in a speech. I do think he's going to have to address the age issue, and I suspect the way he's going to do it is the way he wanted to do it originally. Biden, if you will recall, wanted to come into the race and have someone ready to go as a nominee, as a vice presidential nominee. And I suspect we're going to see sooner rather than later Biden beginning to float names of people he would like who are young and competent and who would be that vice presidential nominee. Interestingly enough, people around Biden are starting to bristle at the fact that he needs a diversity pick. Uh, that uh, What if there is a young, competent white male? Biden doesn't want to be locked into that. Um, so there you have it. And then there was the other Biden faux pas, where this is an interesting spin that we're going to get probably from the Democrats being led now by Joe Biden with a 60 Minutes interview. Well, what I'd say is, did you get any benefit from the tax cut? Have you re- your wages really gone up than we think you deserve? Do your employers treat you with any more respect and dignity than they did before? What's the story? Ask these folks. Ask the folks in this state. I know the state pretty well. And the fact of the matter is that they're not getting their fair share. The American people, the people who built this country, are ordinary Americans who have done extraordinary things from neighborhoods like we, all, we come from. And this president does not show a great deal of respect, and he continues to divide the country. For example, ask him how hard it is to get their kid to college. Six in ten jobs right now require something beyond a high school degree. Ask him how easy it is to afford it. Why do we give a tax break to uh, Wall Street, but we don't give a tax break for significant tax break for daycare or for child care? Why don't we do that? So the economy's doing really, really good. So Biden can't make the point that the economy is doing bad. And he pivoted in the 60 Minutes interview to, well, did you get a tax break? Did you get a tax cut? And, well, even the reporter had to point out, you know, like 85% of Americans got tax cuts and those aren't the wealthy. And so his pivot has to then be, well, but are you being treated well by your employer are your employers giving you vacation pay? Are they giving you time off with the kids? Or is your employer treating you like a good person? In other words, at a time Biden is trying to run saying Donald Trump is being deeply divisive and Donald Trump is going to divide the country and Donald Trump is pitting American against American, that's what Joe Biden is getting ready to do. He's going to make the case that you're being stiffed by your employer thanks to Donald Trump. He's going to make the case that you're being treated badly thanks to Donald Trump. Um, But it's not just going to be a Donald Trump is doing this. It's going to be someone else is doing this to you. You need to vote for Joe Biden because someone somewhere is treating you not nice. And Biden is going to make sure that they treat you nice. He's going to have the government uh, set upon them to make them do things they otherwise wouldn't do. That's going to be his message. It's going to be deeply divisive. What's so interesting about this as well is he's making his play in Pennsylvania, and this is very smart of Biden. He knows that Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan, they were written off by Hillary Clinton. She did not go to Erie, Pennsylvania. She didn't go to Pittsburgh. Even though the Democrats won the Pittsburgh area, the, Donald Trump won areas around Erie, Pennsylvania. Republicans had not won since Ronald Reagan. He won Michigan and he won Wisconsin as well in 2016. Biden is making a play for blue-collar workers. Whether you like the guy or not, let me just say this about Biden. And I I like Biden personally. I disagree with – I can't think of a policy position on which we agree. But I understand that Joe Biden loves blue-collar workers. He believes they're his people. 
even though he's been vice president, lives at a mansion, all that stuff, he 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 believes he connects with blue collar voters, whether he does or not is up for debate, but he believes that he does. And he wants to make a play for them. And he wants to make a play within the Democratic Party that they can't write off those people. And here's a strategic problem for Joe Biden moving forward. The Democrats have invested in the idea that these white blue collar voters are racists and they want no part of them. And Biden is telling Democrats who for two years have convinced themselves these people are racists that you have to have these people within your party. The question is, can he sustain it? Can he sustain it with the age issue? Can he sustain it with the lack of diversity issue? Can he sustain it with telling Democrats these people you hate who jump from Barack Obama to Donald Trump, they need to come back into the party? My guess is what you're going to begin hearing Democrats say is these people, they're not racist. They're actually just stupid. They, they bought the Russian lies on Facebook. That's, I suspect that's where the Democratic spin is going to be, telling people that, that these, the, the people they've called racist for two years, they're not really racist. They're just stupid. Okay, y'all, quick time out for a sponsor. This is a great one. Uh, thanks to them for being back. Because uh, admit it, you think cybercrime is something that happens to other people. It doesn't happen to you. No one wants your data. No one's going to be able to hack into you. You think you're perfectly safe. No one's going to get your credit card details. But you would be wrong. Stealing data from unsuspecting people on public Wi-Fi is one of the simplest, cheapest ways for hackers to make money. They'll sit in the coffee shop and wait for you to log on to public Wi-Fi, and they will steal your information so you can protect yourself from cyber criminals with ExpressVPN. It secures and makes anonymous your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. It's got easy to use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer, your phone, your tablet, and turning it on takes just one click. Using ExpressVPN, you can safely surf public Wi-Fi without being snooped on, without your personal data stolen, without those people sitting in the back of the coffee shop stealing the info off your computer. It is that good. Protect your online activities today. Find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Eric. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S VPN.com slash Eric for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash Eric to learn more. I love my butterfly pillow. My butterfly pillow, they actually, the company's called my butterfly pillow and they sent me the pillow to see if I would actually do an endorsement for them. And I tried it out. Wasn't something I sought out. It wasn't something I knew that existed. And now I'm glad that I do. Uh, I'm a side sleeper and you know, my schedule's so crazy now I'm having to take naps and trying to get in bed and get comfortable and whatnot. My pillow, my butterfly pillow makes it easy. It gives you support in all the places you need it most. Keeps your neck and spine in alignment throughout the night. It's patented sleep technology to elevate your head to where you need it, including a place to fit your arm and a pillow and a pillow for your ear. It's adjustable in height. They really put a lot of thought into this, and it's just a pillow, and they put that much thought into it. The thing that I really like about it is my butterfly pillow has a Bluetooth-adapted night owl speaker. You can listen to music, sounds, your smart TV through the speaker. It's a really good speaker, and you're just enveloped in the sound in this pillow. Listeners to my show can save $30 off the list price of $129. You use code Eric at checkout. You'll get my butterfly pillow for just $99 plus free shipping in the continental U S go to MyButterflyPillow.com, enter code Eric at checkout and save $30 and get free shipping. That's MyButterflyPillow.com. The checkout code is Eric. You can listen. This is my napping pillow and you'll get a great nap. Use it at night. Get a great night's sleep with my butterfly pillow. It 
It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Let's go back to the phones. Uh, Steve in Brazelton, you are up next. Welcome. Thank you. Hey, how's it going today? Good. How are you? Good. You know, I wanted to point out, I'm a, a recovering CFO, and I want to point out that uh, people never really understand numbers completely. Uh, for example, at $3 million a mile, $2 trillion is enough to uh, build 263 two-lane roads across the entire country. Um, in addition to that, I, I don't think people understand the relation between a million and a billion and a trillion. And there's an exercise where you convert it to seconds. Mm-hmm. And a million seconds is 12 days. A billion seconds is 31 years. And a trillion seconds is 31,709 years. So we throw these big numbers around, but we have no idea what they mean or how to relate them to us in our everyday life. That That's an excellent comparison. Uh, it, it is, it's mind-numbing that Democrats and Republicans alike in Washington uh, recognize that there is a problem with our growing national debt, and yet none of them want to, to do anything about it. And, you know, I, I challenge my Democrat friends all the time. Paul Begala uh, from CNN and I, we've had this discussion before. He, pick something you want to cut. And the Democratic response is always, well, just raise taxes. There's a problem, though. If you were to raise taxes to 100%, raise taxes 100%, take everybody's income in this country, you still wouldn't be able to pay off the national debt. You wouldn't even be able to make a dent in the national debt. You got to cut something. We have a spending problem in this country. We don't have a tax problem in this country. There, There is no revenue problem. The federal government gets several trillion dollars a year in revenue. And the problem is we're spending several trillion dollars more than that. Uh, it, it, it's just, it boggles my mind. Um, we're going to have to do something. And Republicans and Democrats alike haven't wanted to do anything. I'm starting to wonder if we do need that uh, BRAC commission deal. Uh, You know, the BRAC commission that closes military bases and Congress either uh, accepts or rejects the list. Uh, There's been a longtime proposal for a uh, civilian BRAC version that basically goes through and closes federal programs. And Congress has to give a thumbs up or thumbs down on the whole package. They can't reject individually. Uh, and we're going to have to do something like that. There was a commission put forward several years ago that was going to go through and say, you know what, here's what we're going to cut, and we are going to raise taxes, and Republicans didn't like it because of the tax increases. Democrats didn't like it because of the cuts. At some point, we've got to do something, and right now we're doing nothing, but we're printing money, and that's going to hurt us long term. You know, you can't keep printing money. The Romans learned this 2,000 years ago on inflation issues. You can't just keep printing money. Atlanta's Evening News, and I am Eric Erickson. The phone number is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I just, I, I got to play this for you. Um, I, I, Acting-wise, I've always liked her. It, politically, Whoopi Goldberg and I generally disagree. She actually has some conservative sentiment, though. In the past, she she was more vocally pro, willing to entertain the pro-life cause. 
Um, one of the things I've always liked her is that she doesn't buy into identity politics. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg has said in the past that she's not African-American, she's American. Um, and that she, you, you can't, uh, don't label her because she's built her own success. Uh, she, she said some subtly conservative things in the past, and, and I'm not saying she is. She is very liberal um, on social issues and the like. She is. Uh, but occasionally she does say interesting things. And that's one of the things that the reasons I like her is because I, I like people on the left who say interesting things, not predictably liberal things. And occasionally Whoopi Goldberg does that. She will entertain a conservative thought and treat it as reasonable. And like, for example, J- Joy Bayar, which treats any conservative thought as, as anathema. Um, is Pete Buttigieg has come out talking about white privilege, and they played part of that today on The View, and just listen to Whoopi Goldberg. Well, you know what? The, the thing, I guess, to do is know that we are all hindered in some way. Mm-hmm. No one actually gets off. White women, you know, you've had some privilege, but not a whole bunch, or y'all would be much further ahead. Do you know what I mean? Black women, same thing. Women have had a tough time. Mm-hmm. Ceilings, all kinds of stuff. I mean, you know, listen, I don't know anyone who hasn't questioned where they're going or how to get there. And white privilege and privilege is a great big phrase. But in the day-to-day stuff, when you're just trying to pay your rent and they've just knocked down your hours and you can't get through, you know, we're all suffering the same stuff. So maybe the thing to do is to look at folks and not say, hey, here's what you don't have, but here's what we're going to have. Maybe moving it forward. Hmm. You mean stop trying to label everyone a victim? Well, one of the great pieces of political advice I've ever heard um, was Ann Richards to Bill Clinton. Uh, Ann Richards was the governor of Texas. She lost to George W. Bush in an upset election in the Republican wave in 1994. No one expected Ann Richards to lose, and she got wiped out. Bill Clinton in 1996 fell behind in the polls to Bob Dole, and, and Ann Richards called him, I have from a very reliable source, and said, you know, you're, you're going to lose to Dole, and the reason is because you're telling people what you've done for them and not what you're going to do in the future for them. And the Clinton team shook up their message to make it about the future and how good the future was going to be, as opposed to either you've been victimized or here's all the stuff we've done for you. Now you have to vote for us. It was a message change. And we're hearing the Democrats uh, mess this up repeatedly to our advantage. I think as conservatives, the Democrats are telling everyone you're a victim, you're a victim, you're a victim, you're a victim. Well, you know, Most people don't actually want to consider themselves victims. Most people don't think of themselves as victims. And Democrats trying to tell them they're victims isn't going to help the Democrats, and that's good for us. It's interesting to see Whoopi Goldberg, of all people, talk about this on The View. Let us uh, go back to the phones to Alex in Covington, waiting patiently. How are you? Hi, Eric. Thanks for taking my call. I applaud your your thoughts and your insight. You 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 taught me a lot. Thanks very much. Eric, I want to talk about uh, uh, Biden. And the Ukraine issue with his son, where he was receiving over $160,000 a month for, quote-unquote, consulting fees. And then when the um, Ukraine government started to investigate, Biden managed to get the investigator fired at the risk of losing U.S. aid. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if the Democrats, what the American voters will say about this. 
Yeah, so for people who don't know, and Alex, thanks very much for, for calling in and asking this. The story is circulating. It's mostly circulating among conservatives right now. Um, Joe Biden uh, apparently played a role in firing Ukraine prosecutor uh, Viktor Shokin in 2016. Uh, Shokin was uh, part of a, it led a corruption probe targeting a natural gas firm. The firm had hired Joe Biden's son two years earlier. And so obviously there were suspicions raised that um, the the guy somehow or another was looking at corruption involving Joe Biden's son and Joe Biden's son's partners and conservatives have kind of fanned the flames on that a little bit. And I don't know that it's going to go anywhere. I, I think that Biden actually did have some legitimate reasons for trying to get the guy fired. In particular, one of the reasons he wanted the guy fired was because there were questions about the prosecutor's ties to the Russians and whether or not the prosecutor was doing a legitimate job at investigating Russia interference within the Ukraine. Biden was raising this big issue trying to combat the Russians behind the scenes. And so, yes, while there was the tangle there with natural gas, there was also the issue of the Russians using the natural gas company to try to influence uh, policy in the Ukraine, which was uh, not a good thing as far as Ukraine was concerned. So he had legitimate reasons. But yes, his son was involved as well. Democrats have a new problem on their hands when it comes to battling Donald Trump coming on the heels of their $2 trillion infrastructure deal. Over to you, Kellyanne Conway. I'll tell you something that caught my eye. I have to go back and see the source of the poll. Uh, but this this morning I saw in one of your reports that there is, there's a 17% increase since January among Democrats who believe we have a crisis at the border. So thank you very much for stopping saying foolish things like caravanish and there's no crisis and it's manufactured. It's real, we see it, it's humanitarian national security crisis. And asylum seekers are looking for the privilege of coming into the United States of America. Not every claim is credible, some claims are credible. And we don't want those who have a credible claim of, of fear and asylum to be hamstrung in the process by those who don't because they're lying about it, because they're grabbing the hand of a child, and God knows what happens to that child, because they know it's easier to come into this country. And that would be the CNN poll that is out uh, today, that a 17-point shift in Democrats towards there is a crisis at the border. It's getting really, really hard to deny it when uh, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, uh, CNN, and others are actually now going down to the border and they're talking to, for example, uh, Obama administration officials like Jay Johnson, Obama's Department of Homeland Security secretary, and even the former Mexican president, Vicente Fox, who does not like Donald Trump at all. And all of them are now singing from the same hymn book that, yes, there are more people now trying to cross the American border than there have been in the last few years. There have been a flood of refugees uh, trying to get across the border. A lot of people now are also claiming refugee status who aren't refugees. I just saw a report on Twitter of people who are down at the border and uh, someone attempted to grab a child from the child's mother to try to cross the border, uh, claiming the child was theirs. Uh, did you hear about the CNBC interview where the CNBC interview with the Border Patrol agents had to be stopped because there was an illegal border crossing happening while the Border Patrol agents were being interviewed? They had to stop the interview and go stop the person from crossing the border. People are starting to pay attention 
to the fact that there actually is a problem at the border. And when you've got a huge Democratic shift, a 17-point shift, this is ground on which the president can win the argument, and the Democrats may have to compromise on the border wall now.